Hi, and welcome to Paul Martin's Catholic Podcast. I'm Paul Martin. I'm talking today about one of the worst atrocities in human history. It was in the early 20th century, and it was the Armenian Genocide, which was from 1914 to 1923. And... One and a half million Armenians were killed by their Turkish Muslim masters. It was not just the Armenians, though, that were killed. There was also a Greek genocide which happened from 1913 to 1922, in which three quarters of a million or 750,000 Greeks were massacred. There was also the Assyrian Genocide at this same time, which was 1914 to 1924, in which 300,000 Assyrians were killed by the Young Turks and Kurdish tribes uh, also murdered them, and Chechens and Arabs also took part. So from 1913 to 1924, there was over two and a half million Christians killed by the Turks, mostly Armenian, but a lot of Greeks and Assyrians were also killed. There was the Russo-Turkish War from 1877 to 1878, which resulted in a Russian victory. And so to get revenge in a very cowardly act, the Turks went and massacred Armenians, civilians, in revenge for a military defeat that they were unable to win. Very cowardly act. There was also the Hamidian massacres from 1894 to 1896, in which about 300,000 to 400,000 Armenians were killed by the Ottoman Turks and about 50,000 children were orphaned. And the reason was because the Armenians had dared to ask for better civil rights and better treatment and Sultan Hamid claimed that he was being persecuted by the Christian world because they criticised his treatment of Christians, and he thought that Islam was under threat. And this massacre was well documented by foreign journalists and photographers, and the dead bodies of the Armenians who had been killed were often flayed or mutilated. Flayed meaning they'd been skinned. It was an example of mass sadism, and around about this same time, in 1895, the Assyrians were also massacred, which was 25,000 in Diyarbakir. Diyarbakir is the largest Kurdish city in Turkey, by mostly Kurds who did it. And the main motivation was Islam. And... I notice what's the most shocking is that while they were treating Christians abominably as second-class citizens, the moment 
they asked for better treatment, their persecutors started playing the victim and then went and victimised their people for complaining about their ill treatment. Unbelievable. Well, the Armenian genocide was the systematic mass murder of one and a half million Armenians. Men were conscripted to forced labour and massacre. After the Ottoman Empire was starting to collapse in the early 20th century, there were calls by people in Turkey who had been educated in Europe to give equal rights and equality to all different ethnic groups and religious groups in their empire. And so Armenian men got military training, which previously was only reserved for Muslim men. And there was a group of Turks called the Young Turks, and they had a group called the Committee for Union and Progress. And the CUP began plotting the extermination of the Christians. And they were also aided and abetted by Germany. Germany at the time was warmongering and planning how they could have victory over their European rivals. And so they started working closely with Turkey. Turkey was in a state of disarray at the time. It was literally collapsing all around them. The military in Turkey had zero discipline. Most of them didn't have weapons. They didn't have uniforms and a lot of their soldiers didn't even have shoes. And the German military came over to Turkey and helped them and gave them instructions on how to become a ruthlessly efficient military. There were some Germans who also encouraged them to get rid of the ethnic minorities in their midst. And they also helped Sheikh al-Islam, who was the spiritual leader of the CUP, and a spiritual leader of the Sunni Muslims, and he called for a jihad against all infidels, all Christians, except for the Germans and Austrians, who were their allies. And this help from Germany helped to militarise Turkey. It also helped to instil Islamic fanaticism and racial fanaticism at the time. And what they did then is they removed all the Armenian men from their military, took their guns off them, and forced the Armenian men to do conscripted labour without weapons. They then would go around to all the villages and get the Armenians to surrender their guns, their weapons, and they would torture them, regardless of whether they knew or not that they had weapons, they would torture them in case they did have them, so that they would hand them over. And once the Armenian population was defenceless, they carried out their massacres. They had several concentration camps, there was Bitlis in southeast 
Turkey. There was Van in the also in southeast Turkey. And there was Sepastia in sort of central Turkey and Adana, which was in the south near Syria. And they took the people on death marches. And on one death march, there was about 18,000 elderly and women and children forced to march. And there was about 150 that made it to Syria. They were deprived of food and water during these death marches and the women were frequently raped. There were some Armenians who converted to Islam or married Turkish families to be spared death, but even then, in many instances, those that had converted to Islam were still killed. So some of the motivation for this genocide was religious in nature where they would say convert to islam and we'll spare your life but then there were other turks who said no politics has no religion and they would kill them so some of the of these murderers were motivated by islam and others were motivated by turkish nationalism and a lot of them were motivated by both. There was about 3 million Armenians living in the Ottoman Empire prior to the genocide and in Anatolia the Armenians made up about 30% of the population and in northeast Turkey, what's northeast Turkey today, many areas the Armenians were the majority and that was their historic homeland, was eastern Anatolia and the Caucasus region. What is Armenia today is a very, very tiny remnant of what was once a very large nation. But due to many massacres over the centuries by the Turks and other Muslim fanatics, their population has been greatly reduced. There was the Adana massacre in 1909 in which 15,000 to 30,000 Armenians were killed by Islamic fanatics who were outraged by the young Turks' call for equality of all citizens. So the Armenians hadn't done anything wrong. There were simply other Turks calling for racial equality and religious equality and that so enraged the fanatics that they went and killed up to 30,000 Armenians. In 1915 there was the siege of Van where, in which an Armenian village of 30,000 was besieged because the Armenian habit, inhabitants knew it was an attempt to massacre them and they gathered their arms and they fought ferociously and valiantly and eventually the Russians came and lifted the siege. In April 1915, they had over 250 Armenian intellectuals who were living in Constantinople. These were well-known authors and writers and people that contributed a lot to uh, to books and stuff and they were deported to Ankara 
and then murdered. In 1915, there was mass deportation that began. There was the Tercher Law, that's T-E-H-C-I-R, which was enforced, where it meant they could confiscate the property of Armenians and kill them if they resisted. And this law was enforced from 1915 to 1916. And the US Embassy and the New York Times recorded daily the massacres of the Armenians. The Turks would release violent criminals from prison and they formed a killing unit called the Special Organisation, or Teshkilat Masuza, from 1913 onwards. And Vihib Pasha, the Ottoman Third Army commander, called them butchers of the human species. And they would burn the corpses of those they had killed in order to dispose of them. Armenians were also loaded onto barges and then thrown overboard to drown at Trebizond in 1918. And there was about 50,000 who were drowned this way. While most people today in the developed world can swim and learn to swim in school, in the late 19th century and early 20th century in that era, a lot of people could not swim. And so if they were thrown into the sea, it was well known that they would, most people would drown. And there were some Turkish doctors long before Mengele. There was a physician, Behaydin Shakir and Nasim Bey, who gave help in poisoning Armenians. And they also did human experiments on Armenians by poisoning them. Their methods included morphine overdoses and toxic gas which was used on children in school buildings. They also used typhoid inoculation. The Turks stole what back then, not today's value, but back then was $3.7 billion dollars which would be roughly $53 billion today worth of goods that they looted off the Armenian church. And off the Armenians as a whole of what would be about $347 billion today. And restitution has never been given. Many of the richest families in Turkey owe their wealth to what they stole off the Armenians several generations ago. Turkey's economy only existed because they had stolen it off the Armenians. The Armenians were a very intelligent and cultured person. Whereas Henry Morgenthau, the Jewish-American ambassador to the Ottoman Empire, records how the average Turk lived in a mud hut, wore some rags that he'd wear for years at a time and would sleep on the dirt. And they only got to become a developed country by stealing off the Armenian community and murdering and committing genocide. 
There was one Arnold Toynbee who compiled the Blue Book, which was documenting the mass killings that the young Turks utilised. And Islamic fanaticism and Turkish nationalism was their rallying call. Mass rape was also used against Armenian women, and they were often sold naked as sex slaves in Damascus in public, uh, often after being gang-raped by 10 to 15 men in a row. And Wolfgang Gust's 2013 book, The Armenian Genocide, Evidence from the German Foreign Office Archives, 1915-1916, to that's on pages 26 and 27, and also Akcham Tana's 2012 book, The Young Turks, Crime Against Humanity, pages 312-315, to and that's from Princeton University Press. There were 25 concentration camps which were used as either transit points or for mass graves on these death marches. For example, uh, Wolfgang Gust on page 653-54 to talks about how there were 60,000 people buried in Meskin and the guards at Abu Herrera concentration camp let 240 Armenians starved to death and they would search for grain in horse dung. On July the 11th, 1919, Damat Ferid Pasha, Grand Vizier of the Ottoman Empire, officially confessed his role in the massacres of Armenians and he was so hated by the Turks for confessing their guilt he had to live in exile in Europe. From 1920 to 1922, there was Operation Nemesis, in which Armenians assassinated two of the three Pashas who were responsible for the genocide, and they also killed numerous other architects of the Armenian genocide. Um, in 1918, the Azerbaijanis, who are a Turkic people, and have a ferocious hatred for the Armenians, massacred 30,000 Armenians in Baku by a group called the Army of Islam. There were masses of Armenian, Armenian churches that were destroyed or converted to mosques, and Armenian cemeteries were flattened and destroyed, after 1918, genocide survivors were driven out when trying to reclaim their former homes by the Turkish government. And so the Turkish government would drive the Armenians out, then give their homes over to Turks, and then refuse to give back what they had stolen. And there are millions of eyewitnesses and many, many, many different books published by people who witnessed it. Some of them were enemies of Turkey, and some of them were friends of Turkey, such as German officers who witnessed what had happened, and allies, and others were neutral people who were there as humanitarian workers or missionaries. 
And then, of course, there are the many Armenian eyewitnesses and many Muslims who admitted their roles in the genocide. One was Alma Johansson, a Swedish missionary. She was an eyewitness and she ran an orphanage of Armenian children during the Armenian genocide in Turkey. There was also a German medic called Armen Wegner, who was a photographer and an author. He was later persecuted by the Nazis for opposing Hitler. There was the US ambassador Henry Morgenthau Sr. And Henry Morgenthau was in uh, Constantinople as the US ambassador from 1913 to 1916. And he wrote a book called Ambassador Morgenthau's Story, which was published in 1918. Then there was Aurora Mardiganian, 1918, her book Ravished Armenia. She lived from 1901 to 1994, and she was a survivor of the genocide. She was also an author and an actress and she made a film called Ravished Armenia or Auction of Souls in 1919 but only 24 minutes of that film survive. There was Franz Werfel's 1933 book The 40 Days of Musa Dach and Musa Dach was a concentration camp and it was a novel based on his witness of the genocide. Since the genocide has happened, some nations learn, others do not. In Germany and Austria, for example, people can go to jail if they deny the Nazi Holocaust. But in Turkey, you can go to jail for saying that the Armenian genocide happened. Uh, since the genocide, there was Kemal Ataturk, who accepted that Armenians had been massacred in what he called cowardice and barbarity in numerous speeches. Nevertheless, he was not the least bit sorry or conciliatory towards Armenians. And he had many of the mass murderers of the Armenian genocide appointed to positions of power in modern Turkey, so-called modern. And he allowed the stolen wealth of the Armenians to be retained by the Turks. And under Ataturk's government, there were widespread massacres of Alevis, that is a Muslim sect, and Kurds. Many of the Kurds had helped in the genocide and the massacre of the Syrians and Armenians and now they were being massacred by the Turks, the people they had aided and abetted. Kurdistan today is a very secular nation of people because I think after decades of humiliation and uh, brutal oppression by fellow Muslims, it's disillusioned many of them. Kemal Ataturk, who's often praised as a moderniser, was uh, 
does not deserve this kind of respect. He denied the identity of all non-Turkish people living in the country. And he had the surviving Armenians deported from the country. There were also Jews massacred in a pogrom in Frace in Turkey in 1934 and they were killed by Turks for their wealth. And Ataturk was greatly mourned by his Nazi allies in 1938 when he died. Turkish law makes it a criminal offence to insult Turkishness and that's Penal Code Article 301 which was introduced in 2005 and that can be interpreted as saying that the Armenian genocide happened or that Kurds should have independence. And fortunately today, Kurds have recognised the Armenian genocide and they've apologised to the Armenian and Assyrian communities for their role. There was a man called Hrant Dink. He was an Armenian Turk. That is a Turkish citizen of Armenian ancestry. And he was a campaigner for minority rights in Turkey. And he was the publisher of an Armenian newspaper. And he was prosecuted three times for insulting Turkishness. And he had to appeal to the European Court of Human Rights. And he was assassinated by a nationalist fanatic in 2007. He was shot three times in the head. And he left behind his wife and three children. Yet a hundred thousand people turned up to his funeral with placards that said, I am Armenian, or I am Hrant Dink. But the police who arrested the assassin posed for photos with him smiling, which was pretty despicable. And this whole incident shows you that there are many, many decent people in Turkey who admit they're wrong, but there are also many who do not and have a lot of hatred, which still baffles the mind because I could understand if your own nation had been slaughtered and suffered a genocide, a person might feel hatred like the Armenians might feel towards the Turks. But when the Turks are the ones that did the genocide and they still hate the people that they murdered over a century ago and have not apologised for, it truly boggles the mind. And the only thing I can surmise from that is that they, it's their way of suppressing their conscience. And... In 2018, it was found that Turkey had a registry list of minorities and family trees in their country. And this is from an article in The Independent, 1st of March 2018, by Robert Fisk, called Erdogan has released the genealogy of thousands of Turks, but what is his motive? And it says that this led to a demand of transparency. People wanted to know what minority ancestry they had. And it found out they had 4 million hits on their website in the first 48 hours and the website collapsed and had to be reset again. 
and they had 8 million Turks requesting access, which is roughly 10% of the population, and it was estimated that 2 million Turks have an Armenian grandmother from those that were forcibly assimilated during the genocide, which would be about 2.5% of the population. Another side issue, although I believe it's directly connected with it, is the matter of Artsakh or Nagorno-Karabakh, and that is a region of Azerbaijan, which is an overwhelmingly Armenian enclave, and it's historically always been part of Armenia. And it was part of Armenia from 180 BC. And it was illegally given to Azerbaijan by the occupying British in 1920. And then the Bolsheviks arrived and took over and just absorbed it into the Soviet Union. And the Soviet Union created the Armenian Soviet Socialist Republic. So the Armenians had their own country, albeit in a totalitarian communist uh, federation. But they gave the area of Nagorno-Karabakh, which is now called Artsakh, into Azerbaijan. And in 1988, they began demanding unity with the Armenian Soviet Socialist Republic. And then in 1991, as the Soviet Union was collapsing, Azerbaijan abolished the autonomy and there was a massacre of Armenians. And so then there was war and thousands of Islamic extremists aided Azerbaijan. Volunteers came from Chechnya and Afghanistan and other places because they wanted to kill Armenians and prevent the small minority from getting union with Armenia. Despite that, they lost. The Armenians had victory. And the Armenians of Artsakh had gotten their freedom from Azerbaijan by 1994. However, the rest of the world does not recognise um, the Armenian claims on this land, despite the fact that it is 90% Armenian and the remaining 9% are Tatars or Kurds, and the fact that they have been historically hated and slaughtered by the Azeris and the Turks. If you want to read a bit further or watch some films on this issue, there's a film called Ravished Armenia, mentioned before, although it's a 1919 silent film with only 24 minutes of it. There is Armenia, My Love, a 2016 film, and it's in English, you can get it on YouTube, and it's about an Armenian boy whose family is murdered during the genocide and how he survives. There's also a 2002 film called Ararat, which is a drama about an Armenian making a film about the Armenian gen genocide. 
and there's another film called The Forty Days of Musa Dach. Uh, it's a 1982 film about some Armenian guerrillas fighting against the Ottoman Turks and the Young Turks. And two audio books that are particularly well worth reading, and they are original primary sources. The first is Martyred Armenia. It's a 1916 book by Fayez El Hussein. He was a Muslim. Bedouin, Arab, he lived from 1883 to 1968 and he was an eyewitness, a government official of the Ottoman Empire and he witnessed and recorded it. He was a Muslim but he was outraged at what Muslims were doing in the name of Islam. And then there was Henry Morgenthau Sr who was the ambassador from 1913 to 1916 and I've mentioned before his book, Ambassador Morgenthau's Story from 1918. Now, both Fayez El Kusain's book, Martyred Armenia, and Morgenthau's book are available at LibriVox.org as free audiobooks. And they're very educational. Fayez El Guzain's book goes for about one and a half hours and Morgan Fowles goes for about twelve and a half hours. And they are original eyewitness accounts of what was one of the greatest atrocities in history. And I'm going to leave you with several quotes on what famous people have said. And this is from Geoffrey Robertson's book, an inconvenient genocide. And in 2008, Barack Obama said, My firmly held conviction that the Armenian genocide is not an allegation, a personal opinion or a point of view, but rather a widely documented fact that, supported by an overwhelming body of historical evidence, the facts are undeniable. As president, I will recognise the Armenian Genocide. And the US President Theodore Roosevelt, in his letter to Cleveland Dodge, 11th of May 1918, wrote, The Armenian Massacre was the greatest crime of the war, and the failure to act against Turkey is to condone it, because the failure to deal radically with the Turkish horror means that all talk of guaranteeing the future peace of the world is mischievous nonsense, and because when we now refuse to war with Turkey, we show that our announcement that we meant to make the world safe for democracy was insincere claptrap. And shortly before Hitler's invasion of Poland, where he intended to carry out mass exterminations of the Polish people and have them driven out or killed, he was asked by one of his generals what impact this would have on history and on their legacy. And Adolf Hitler, in Ober Salzburg, 22nd of August 1939, said... I have sent my death's head units to the east with the order to kill without mercy men, women and children of the Polish race and language. 
Only in such a way will we win the Lebensraum, that's living space, that we need. Who, after all, speaks today of the annihilation of the Armenians?